All right, open up your Bibles to Luke 24. <laughs> so it's kind of awesome how God has planned things that uh, this coming up Wednesday we'll be finishing up our study in the book of Romans by covering chapters 15 and 16, or as I like to call it, the impossible task. Covering two chapters in one night. And today... We will be finishing up our series on Sunday morning called How to Study the Bible. Uh, for those of you who maybe it's your first time joining us, or if that sounds like an intriguing concept to you, sorry, we're not going to go back over the next 14 weeks of everything we covered previously. But we do have a podcast that you guys can go back and listen to all the previous lessons. And if you are interested in getting study sheets from me, let me know. That way you can have something to follow along with. Um, I mentioned it at the onset of uh, when we first started this class that I remember going through this in the senior high when my youth leader, Pastor Jay Boffin, went through it, and it was monumental in my life. Changed my life forever. One of the reasons why we began studying this and going through these little tidbits and tips and tricks, if you want to call them that, was because of the fact that previously we went through a study in 2 Peter chapter 1 where it talked about our need as Christians to add to our faith. And the very first thing you're supposed to add to your faith, anybody remember? Not, did you say vengeance? I said diligence. Oh, diligence. No, close. Close, actually. No, that's the second thing. Starts with a V. Virtue. Virtue, yes. Virtue is simply doing what's right with the right heart attitude and doing it well, doing it diligently. And then the second thing that you're supposed to do with that is add to virtue knowledge. And when I saw that, everybody had just kind of this overwhelming, like, man, I, we got to look at the Bible from a practical sense. We got to take passages of Scripture and go a little bit deeper with it. How do I do this more on a regular basis? And that's what led to this class of looking at certain things, certain concepts and ideas and principles of Bible study. And how do we implement it to take Bible reading to the next level of Bible study? where we just go from having a basic fundamental understanding of our Bible to knowing God intimately and personally. That's been the entire point of this class. Out of curiosity, and I hesitate saying this, especially given how prayer requests went, or the request for someone to pray, uh, has anybody implemented these rules since we started this class? And you're like, you know what? I was... Struggling with this passage, I implemented these rules of Bible study, and then God just, boom, opened the gates for me, and I was able to see things clearly in a new way that I hadn't seen before because of these rules. Has that happened in the last couple weeks for anybody? Anybody care to actually share a passage or something that, whatever the rule was or what it was that implemented? I saw some hands go up, albeit halfway. Do you... So Go ahead. Um, I forget what I was looking at, but like just using the context one and like mm -hmm. making sure that I don't know I was looking at the right context. And I was like, oh, that's what that means, rather than like yeah interpreting it differently. Absolutely. I don't remember what passage it was. Yeah, and that's why it was the first rule that we ended up looking at 14 weeks ago. Context. Context matters. Those of you who have gotten into arguments with friends, arguments with family members, and they've taken something you might have said out of context, did it make you feel well? Did it make you feel great? No, it usually just causes more problems and more, more turmoil. God's the same way with his words. 
He doesn't want any of his words to be taken out of context. That's why sometimes you might be reading in chapter 24 of Luke, but in order to understand what's going on here, you might need to go back a couple chapters just to see how did we get here. Well, that's going to take more time than I have. Yeah, that's why it's called study. Well, it's going to take more work than I'm used to. Yeah, that's why it's called being a workman. That's why our key headline verse is what for how to study the Bible? Unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's 2 Timothy 2.15. That's a commandment that God has given each and every single one of us who name the name of Christ to not just read and, and just have a, well, I did my chapter a day. No, each and every single one of us who have a desire and a passion to pursue God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength we eventually at some point need to get to the step where we are studying, where we're setting aside the time to work. Not because we are going to be a teacher someday ourselves or because of, you know, we need to know the deep doctrinal truths. No, it's all about knowing him more. And the deeper you go into this book, the deeper you're going into him. That was the entire theme and the entire crux of this class was to do just that. And we come down to all 14 points, and now we end today with the 15th rule of Bible study. And on your outline, it's called the maturity factor. And it's very fitting to end this way. The maturity factor of this rule of Bible study states this. Don't panic if you do not completely understand something. Remember that God is infinitely wise and that you will never completely understand God. In short... There are some things that while you're reading it, you're just not going to unlock at that time. And it's okay. And we're going to see some of these reasons for it. Look at John 16, 12. This is the key core headline verse. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says to them, at the end of his discipleship lessons with them, he says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Can you imagine if he went into the story of how each and every single one of the disciples, their journey and their spiritual walk ended. Did you know that all of the disciples, with the exception of Judas and John, all suffered a martyr's death? Judas hung himself. John, oh, he got tortured all right. He ended up dying of natural causes, or maybe I guess you'd say succumbed to his injuries that he suffered or that he went through while being persecuted. But all of the other disciples, they all suffered a martyr's death for their faith. Can you imagine if Christ in his last lesson with them, right before he goes to the cross, right before he's arrested in the garden and taken before Pilate to trial, if he were to reveal this to them, what that would probably do to them? What if you knew the end of your story? What if God today were to tell you, hey, I am going to radically change what you think your career and your life is going to be and I'm going to tell you exactly where you're going to go and what you're going to do for me. And it goes completely contrary to what you're thinking your life is going to be right now. If he said that to you today and you weren't ready for it, do you think that you'd still keep, okay, Lord, and chugging away? No. It'd probably cause you to say sayonara and go the opposite direction. That's one of the reasons why Jesus doesn't give us everything all at front. It takes time, it takes work, it takes effort. It takes one day at a time, one step at a time, 
That's why it's called our walk with God. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, another key passage. God saying, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, that's a pretty big distance, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Again, this is a very deep and vast book. We're not going to know all of it inside and out. There are going to be certain things that God's going to say, hey, I do want to reveal truth to you, but this concept, I'm not going to reveal it to you right now. Keep growing, keep serving, keep plugging away, and eventually we'll cover this right when you need it. So important concepts to this rule in your outline. There are some things in the scriptures we're not mature enough to understand. And we just saw that in John 16. As we just read in Isaiah 55, God is infinitely wise. You will never be able to completely understand him. And that's okay. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that we're going to have for the ages to come and eternity future, all of eternity to get to know him, to get to know the depths of him. Can you guys imagine on that day? where he actually unfolds your entire life before your eyes and he's like, hey, do you remember this little thing here? No, not at all. That day, I don't even remember that day happening. Oh, well, you know, I do. I remember that day vividly because right here, you were about to pull out into oncoming traffic and you didn't see that car coming and I caused you to stop where you were before that car just completely sideswiped you and took you out early. I don't remember a car being there. Yeah, exactly. Imagine that day in eternity where he's showing you all of his goodness for you throughout all of time in all of the ways that he protected you that you had no idea of. That's going to be his goodness and he's going to show us for the ages to come. All the mysteries of the Bible, the things that maybe we think we know or the things where we're like, I still don't get. How does that play out? Or how is that going to work out in the end times? It'll be completely made clear to us. Because then in that day, we will know all things. All the people that we thought maybe in this day and age are like, oh, you know what? He's lost, but you know, he's a good guy. And then you find out, no, he's in the Illuminati. No, just kidding. They're going to sacrifice our blood. And you have all this knowledge of that. No, you will, you'll find all that out. We have all of eternity to get to know God and get to know his goodness and his grace towards us. You're not going to get it all now. If you come across a passage where you've implemented all the other rules of Bible study and yet you still don't comprehend it, Put it aside for now, maybe mark it in your journal, and move on. Maybe now is not the time for you to know it yet. You're on Luke chapter 24. Look with me in verse 13. So this is the last chapter of Luke, so obviously it's after the death of Christ, and he's risen again from the grave. In verse 13, behold, two of them went that day, that same day, to a village called Emmaus. So he's risen again from the dead, but it's not known to all yet which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they, verse 14, these two disciples, followers of Christ, not of the 12 though, they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together, having fellowship and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes, here's the key, their eyes were holden that they should not know him. They were followers of Christ. At some point, whether it was the feeding of the 5,000 or at somewhere along the way, they became followers and disciples of Christ. 
He's dead, he's buried, he rises again from the grave, he shows himself to them, he starts walking along with them, but he hid who he really was from them so that they didn't know. We've talked extensively since week one. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. This right here in 1 Corinthians 2.14 is the mind of Christ. This is the written Word. This is Jesus in print. The living Jesus, as we just read here in Luke 24, he even concealed himself, concealed the knowledge, concealed the truth of who he was to his disciples as the living word. It's going to happen to the written word for you and I at some point in our lives, if it's not already. It's okay. He just wants you to keep growing, keep maturing, and eventually... You'll come to it because you keep reading this story. It's awesome. He goes through all throughout the Old Testament and shows about how this was supposed to happen ever since Moses, ever since Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first mentioned prophecy of Christ coming, the Messiah coming. And looking all the way through the Old Testament, he sits down with these two disciples and shows that to all of them. And eventually you get to verse 30. And it came to pass, he sat at meat with them and took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. In verse 31. And their eyes were opened. You see, they just needed to keep taking of the bread. Jesus is the bread of life. That means this book is bread. This book, the words of this book are our food source. Not coming to church every single Sunday. Not having Christian friends. Those are all good things, but they should all be byproducts of your walk, not the prime product of your walk. If you're trusting in your relationship and within your friendships with the people that are in this room, if you're trusting in, what was the other thing I mentioned before that? This is what I get for not drinking coffee. Going to church. Thank you. If you're counting on, hey, I'm here every Sunday and every Wednesday, if you're counting on that to get you by, you are going to be emaciated and starving spiritually. You need sustenance of the bread every single day. And honestly, on that point, do many of you only eat one meal a day? Maybe some of you need more of this more than just once a day. Maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe night. Just like David said. And when they took of that bread, their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. Jump down to verse 45. Same thing with the disciples. He finally goes to the apostles. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. You know what? Uh, one thing I did want to, I skipped over, but go back to verse 32. Talking about these two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus. This is just a key verse. This really just wraps up the whole story together. And they, those two disciples, after their eyes had been opened and they were enlightened, they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures. When was the last time your heart did that when you opened up this book? Has it been a while? If so, maybe you need to have some quiet time of introspection with God before you open up this book the next time you go to open up this book. And ask him, Lord, I have not felt that burning in my heart where it felt personal. It felt like you were speaking to me specifically. I have not felt that in a long time. 
and I've not seen things from your word in a long time. So Lord, maybe it's me. Maybe I've allowed some sin in my life that's been unconfessed, or maybe I've just had a rotten heart attitude recently, but whatever it is, I pray you'd forgive me of it, and I pray you'd open up my eyes, remove the scales from my heart, that I could clearly see what it is you're going to tell me. Don't look now, but having a prayer like that just might be you maturing in your faith. And it may be the maturity factor that he's been looking for before he reveals more truth to you. So on your outline, third bullet point, God will help us by opening our understanding when we are ready, but be patient. Be patient. Psalm 119, 18, I have it up there on the screen. Again, what's the significance of Psalm 119? Two things significant about it. Most obvious one is, longest chapter in the Bible. And the second... Every single verse in Psalm 119 has to do with God's Word. Every single verse. The longest chapter, and that's what it's known for. It's all about a man and his love for the Word of God. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. That's a prayer request. God loves it when we pray back Scripture to Him in our prayer time. And that's why I've always been a big advocate before you guys open up your Bible, make sure you're having quiet time with Him. Pray. Because this is a spiritual book. It needs to be discerned spiritually in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You need Him to open up your eyes. So do that. Next, turn over to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Now, with the last passage in Luke 24, it's more for people that, you know what, it, they're walking, they're walking with God, is obvious from that story, but it just took time before God finally revealed truth of them. This is going to present the flip side scenario. Look at verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 5. Of whom we have, of God, we have many things to say. And hard to be uttered, why? Seeing ye are dull of hearing. In other words, yeah, I might have a lot to say every Sunday. I might have a lot to say every Wednesday. Your disciples, your counselors may have a lot to tell you every Sunday or every Wednesday or every time that you meet in between those days. But they might be having a difficult time saying it because you might be a little dull of hearing. You guys know what dull means, right? It doesn't mean boring. Some people might be dull. This lesson might be dull to you. But what does dull mean? You guys were just talking about wood shop earlier. If you're cutting something with a blade and it's dull, is it going to have any impact whatsoever? No. It's not going to get anything done. It's a useless tool. It's dull. There's no teeth on it. There's no cutting aspect of it. It's useless, in other words. Right here, the Bible says that our hearing of God's word can be useless. That's where we get the phrase, it just goes in one ear and out the other. How many lessons have there been? How many 
main service messages? How many discipleship meetings have you had? How many counseling scenarios, whether it be at camp or just one-on-one, where someone's given you advice, they've given you counsel, and if we were to put you up here and put you on the spotlight, you couldn't mention at all what that person said if your life depended on it because you were dull of hearing when they gave it to you. You see what he says here? He's like, I have many things to say unto you, and they're hard to say, but the implication is I'm not going to keep going further with this. I'm not going to keep giving you more of the Word of God if you're not going to do something with what I've already given you, the writer of Hebrews is saying. That's the implication. Look at verse 12. For when the time that ye ought to be teachers, disciples, counselors yourself, Ye have need that one teach you again. Ugh. If you have one goal in life, make sure that that is never said of you. That you've been through discipleship. You're serving actively, whether it be in the kids ministry, VBS, or whatever the case is. You go on missions trips. Never let it be said of you that you get to the point where, man, you know what? I need somebody to sit down with me and take me through the basics and the fundamentals again. Because somewhere along the way, I've gotten dull of hearing these things. Somewhere along the way, I made the choice to stunt my maturity process. Let that never be said of you. And the time comes that you're supposed to be disciples yourself. Verse 12, he says, Which teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Again, the basics of discipleship, the basics of the word of God. And are become such as need of what? Now, tell me. What people need milk? Babies. Babies do. And not of strong meat. Who eats meat? Someone who's more mature. Somebody who can handle it. Somebody whose teeth aren't dull. They can cut into it. They can rightly divide it. Verse 13, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. They've got no business teaching or leading a Bible study at their schools or with anybody else, for he is a babe. But strong meat, verse 14, belongeth to them that are of full age, maturity, even those who by reason of use, they're exercising it, they're, they're using it and utilizing it often. They ha- those who reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. If you can't tell the difference between what is righteous and what is not righteous, sorry, but you need discipled again. If leaders or parents or counselors are constantly talking with you, about, hey, um, this is pretty simple that you shouldn't be doing this, or this is pretty simple that this is what God does expect from you. If those people are constantly telling you that, then you're going to need to go back and be discipled again because it's very simple milk. It's the fundamentals. It's the basics of what our Christian life is. But if somebody who's been saved for a while struggles with even that and they have already been discipled, quote-unquote? Yikes. This time, when you go back through being discipled, you better make sure that you are utilizing verse 14. Now, whatever your discipler gives you, you're using it, and you're exercising it. You know, many of you guys in here are athletes. You are lifting. You're exercising. What happens when you go a while without it, and then you start back up again? Sore. Very sore. 
Just the next day? No, sometimes even worse the day after. Not only that too, but those of you guys who exercise or lift or work out or whatever, if you just lift the same amount of weights all the time and you're not adding more weights onto it, are you going to see any growth if you don't put yourself under more pressure? If you don't seek to gain more, if you don't seek to do more with what has been given you, are you going to see growth? No. In fact, you're going to get weaker. It's the same thing with our walk with God. In fact, I think that's why God put these pictures in our life to cause us to see this. So on your outline, God is faithful to teach you what you need to know when you need to know it. But you better be making sure you're doing your part and exercising or putting to application what he's given you. You know, I guess a, a case in point for really this point and even the point before. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember or not, but right when we sent out, right before we sent out Greentown, I shared a, a testimony of mine that was really, really personal to me. Um, it was about a time in my life not too long ago where Heather was a couple months pregnant with Wyatt. We just signed the dotted line to get our first house ever, and then three weeks later, I lost my job, and I was unemployed for three months. I sent in countless uh, applications. This was back when the economy was booming, too, and got nothing in return. It was the worst trial I'd ever been through in my life. And I ended up going and just so happened to be doing my devotions and reading in Genesis 32 one day. It's where Jacob is wrestling with Christ himself. And I shared this story back before the send-out uh, when I first started teaching in the senior high and went through the whole details of it. But I don't know if you guys remember or not. The thing that impressed me about that particular day when I started studying and after months of being unemployed and just at my wits end through this, this trial in my life and not knowing what God was doing, I come across a passage that I had read dozens of times before. But for whatever reason, there were certain things about that passage that I had no idea why God had put that passage in there or what God was trying to say through that passage. Mind you, I had been, goodness, at this point, six, seven years removed from JBI, six years graduated from our Bible Institute at this church, and I still didn't have the answer, answers I was looking for with this, this passage. Number one, why would Jesus, who clearly won that fight, when Jacob is hold of him, why would Jesus say, let me go? Never got that. Every time I'd read it, it made no sense to me. I would try looking it out. I would try studying it out. But I never understood why. And I would never understand the second thing, which is why would this entitled, deceiving brat Jacob respond back to Christ, I won't let you go until you bless me. And then God would just give it to him. Again, I read this passage countless times before this point. But it wasn't until I had to be in a spot of brokenness. I had to be in a spot where I could not trust in anything else, not my experience, not my job history, nothing else to get me through where I needed to get through because all this time God was trying to show me something deeper than just I need a job to support a family. He was trying to get me to see that I had grown too comfortable in my service. That yeah, while I was busy serving and doing many things in this church on a regular basis, 
He was trying to get me to see that I had just gotten used to going through the motions. And that's what Jacob had been through. He was used to going through the motions. And here's a passage that had been hid from me. The true meaning of it had been hid from me for years. And God waited till I had to be in the right time and the right moment for me to finally understand it. That was my story. So this happens even with us. There might be times where you're like, I just don't get this passage. And I don't get what God is trying to say to me through it. And it's really starting to frustrate me. What's the point? When you're at that moment, when you're frustrated, be patient. It's just not your time to know it yet. Next. Last bullet point. Learn to maintain a humble... Might want to double, triple underline that word. Circle it until you, your pen pokes a hole through that paper. Learn to maintain a humble, teachable. Might want to double, triple underline that word and maybe circle that word until it gets to a hole in your paper. Learn to maintain a humble, teachable heart toward the Lord in all seasons of life. Acts 24. Whoops. Nope. First John. Forgot to delete that one. Acts 24, 16. And herein do I exercise myself. This is Paul speaking here. Speaking of exercise again. To have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. How about you? Is that something you've asked yourself lately? God, are you offended with the way I live my life? Is there anything that goes contrary in my life towards you? Oh boy. What about to my fellow man? What about to my fellow brothers and sisters in this room? Do I live my life? Do I have a conscience that is offensive? And you understand that when the Bible uses that word, we're not talking about some kind of snowflakey political correctness here, right? He's not saying like, oh, I don't, I wanna, don't want to offend you, so I don't want to step on eggshells around you. No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about your life is just offensive. It goes in opposition, contrary to God. And if your fellow man is walking with God and your lifestyle is going contrary to it, not only your lifestyle, but he says your conscience the things that you think are okay. The things that you feel are approved of God. The things that you think you have the liberty to do. And who cares if it causes my brother or sister to stumble or not. Just talked about that this past Wednesday. Paul said, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, I am going to exercise regularly, consistently, diligently to have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. And it doesn't just apply to your brothers and sisters in this room. It applies to lost men too. Because if you want lost men to hear the message that you have to say of the glorious gospel of Christ, then you better have a conscience void of offense towards them too. This is huge. It's all about growing up. Philippians 4.11 Paul, again speaking, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. <sighs> I'm still learning that one. That's tough. 
whatsoever state I'm in, there with to be content. By the way, you know where Paul was writing this from? A prison cell at this very moment. Many of you are in situations of life where it feels like you are in prison. And I hate it. But for whatever reason it is, God is wanting to show you something through that. And you might not have the answer right now like you want it to be. And I hate that too. But in time, as you walk with Him and as you grow with Him, He'll reveal it to you. You just have to be patient and walk with Him. And He will teach you this. Paul says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. And it's in that context, he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. We don't have time to go back over that when we covered that a few weeks ago. It doesn't mean what many people think that means. It's not a rubber stamp genie verse that we just say, and then all of a sudden God's going to give us whatever we want. Oh boy. Proverbs 1. Here's a doozy. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hey, if a leader or a discipler gives you wisdom and instruction and you despise it, meaning you look with disdain on it, meaning you're going to disagree with what they say vehemently, meaning you think you know better than them, well, the Bible has a word for you, and it's called a fool. Implement the rules of Bible study and trace that word throughout Scripture and see what type of a character a fool is. It's likened to a lost person. But you have a healthy reverential fear of God. That'll be the beginning of your maturity process. This is how he starts the book of Proverbs. This is chapter 1. Shotgun blast. Verse 29. For they that hated knowledge. I don't hate knowledge. I love coming here. Yeah, but what do you do with that knowledge? Are you applying it? Or is it all just up here? For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. It's a good cross-reference for that because you look at verse 7, it tells you what you're going to do if you hate knowledge and don't choose the fear of the Lord. It says they did not, which implies choice. It doesn't say they could not choose the fear of the Lord. It says they did not choose the fear of the Lord. They did not choose to be under the umbrella of His protection, to have understanding, to submit themselves to Him. And as a result, they became fools. See why I made such a big deal about the humble and teachable heart part of your study sheet? It's critical to your maturity process. I'm getting a lot of you looking at me, and I appreciate that. A lot of you aren't, though. Or some of you, I should say. Hopefully you're thinking about these things and pondering them, and hopefully you are not despising wisdom and instruction. Examples of the maturity process. Turn back over to Luke chapter 2. It's funny, I didn't intend for this message to be so hard-hitting today. Does it feel that way for you guys? Does it feel like, no, this is actually pretty good, we need this. 
Feels kind of hard hitting. Didn't intend for it to be that way, so maybe the lesson is I just need coffee and it'll help mellow me out. <laughs> Luke 2, verse 39. This is talking about Joseph and Mary shortly after they had Christ. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child, Christ, grew and waxed strong in spirit. So he grew physically. He waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Notice you need all of those things. It's not just the grace of God. Which, trust me, the grace of God is enough. But this is a partnership. It's a relationship. That's the whole point of our salvation, that Jesus wants to be in a relationship with you. A relationship is a partnership where he does his part, the grace of God, and even just the way he made our bodies to physically grow. But there needs to come a point where we do our part. And that's the being filled with wisdom and growing strong in the spirit. He does his part. He provided the word of God. He provided leaders in our lives, godly parents in our lives. He provided other godly counselors in our lives. We have to do our part and do something with what they said. Maybe it's just even getting the gumption up to saying, hey, you mind if we just go out and get coffee? I just have some things I just need to get off my chest. And maybe through what you've been through, you can help give me some wisdom through it. There's nothing wrong with that. I honestly think there's been such a war on your guys' generation, and actually it started with mine, uh, of trying to kill the way that we communicate with each other. To whereas when we're doing nothing but just typing and communicating and have long lines of dialogue and conversations through these things, over time, when you're exercising yourself through something like this, you kind of lose the skill set. We've been talking about exercising. You kind of lose the skill set of how to talk this way and how to make eye contact with somebody else or even just having the courage to be like, hey, I know I don't know you in the church, but I know a lot of people say that you're a very, very wise person. Um, you, you did our winter camp a couple years ago or you did our summer camp a couple years ago, whatever the case is. Could I just pick your brain on some things? I get it. That's uncomfortable. It feels icky. No one really likes doing that. But you know, there's a lot of wise people in our church. I remember I had, it was the best assignment I ever had in high school. Um, I don't even know if Mrs. Worcester, I think Mrs. Worcester retired years ago. No relation. Uh, she gave this assignment. There was this book called Tuesdays with Maury. I don't know if any of you guys, if it's still being read at Perry or whatever, but uh, it was this book by Mitch Album. He used to be on uh, ESPN and he was a sports reporter. And he went back, found out that his old mentor in college was having cancer. And so he just spent Tuesdays with him, getting to know all of these things about him, of life lessons, things like that. The book itself, I could care less about and give two rips about it. But so the assignment she gave was that we needed to find, this is a junior in high school, we needed to find a senior citizen. And we need to spend three sessions with them of like a minimum of an hour and just glean from them. So I remember being a junior and I was looking around and I saw, I don't know if you guys know Larry Lures or not, but he used to run our sound for VBS. He elderly gentleman who sits in the back usually with Rory and Pat Winnicka. And let me just tell you, that was the hands down best assignment I ever had. It forced me to go up to him, which I mean then again, I was personable already, but I mean, I, was, I still didn't know him. 
and explain to them the assignment. And man, we took an hour and spent three hours on all three of those sessions. And he embraced that assignment as much as I did. And he showed me a verse like James 1.5 where it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God liberally who, who, uh, give, who, let him ask of God who giveth liberally and upbraideth not. Meaning, if you're struggling with maturing, you're struggling with understanding what the Bible says, ask God and hold nothing back when you ask because he's going to hold nothing back when he gives you the answer to that. He shared that verse with me. He goes, I tried my best to pray that verse every single day of my life and I believe God's answered it. That in and of itself was wisdom. Man, I'm telling you what, to grow in strong in spirit, being filled with wisdom, that's on you. It's all, all up to how much you want it. God will give it. He'll give you the grace. He'll cause you to grow. But it's a partnership. That's what salvation is. A relationship where he does his part, but we got to do our part. That's part of the maturity process. And it talks about how when he was 12 years old, not too far from a teenager, Christ went and he was debating the word of God with all of the doctors of the law, with all of the, you know, the, the lawyers, the, the Pharisees and all of that. And look, look jump down to verse 47. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. When was the last time someone at school was astonished by your knowledge of the Word of God? Not because you were a know-it-all, but because you had all the answers to their questions because you cared for their soul. And you used it as an outreach opportunity to share the gospel with them. That's why we went through the last 15 weeks of how to study the Bible so you can learn how to have all the tools in your toolbox to find the answers to all the questions they ask. So on your outline, oh, before that, think on this one for a while. This will cook your noodle. Hebrews 5.8, Though he, Jesus, were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Just think about that for the rest of the afternoon. When did Christ begin his ministry again? What age was he? 30. Can you imagine? And somebody remind me, what was his occupation before that? Carpenter. Anybody know what the number one thing a carpenter built back then was? A coffin. You imagine being God in a human body having to wait for 30 years before he could reveal himself who he really was to others for 30 years and the entire time he's waiting he's suffering knowing that as he's building this box hmm I know exactly who's going in this box and I can't do anything about it right now because it's not my time yet He learned obedience through it. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, 1 Peter 4.1, I think it is, that when we suffer in the flesh, we cease from sin. Nothing to help you get over that sin which easily besets you, like a good trial. Maybe that's what some of you need. Maybe, just maybe, I wonder if somebody would be bold enough to actually pray this. 
But for those of you who are sick and tired of going through the same sin, struggling with the same sin, not getting any victory in it, I wonder if one of you would be bold enough to say, Lord, give me a trial that burns this right out of me. Frightening prayer, but it just might be what is needed to help overcome that. On your outline, Jesus grew in wisdom and learned obedience through his life experiences. Yes, he's the word, I get that, but he was also a man. He had to learn certain things. You can check out 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel later, but in your next point, David, he was anointed when he was a shepherd 15 years prior to becoming king over the whole nation of Israel. That took time. He wasn't ready to lead then. Check out Jeremiah later. Chapter 1, verses 5 to 10, but Jeremiah was called out from his mother's womb to be God's prophet to the nations. Obviously, when he started preaching in chapter 1, it wasn't right out of the birth. And lastly, Elijah spent 10 years with Elisha before he was taken up by a whirlwind, discipling him. By the way, discipleship may only take half a year or a year to get through, but you're not done being a disciple. You're constantly learning, or at least you should be. That took 10 years before Elisha was ready to take up the mantle from his discipler. 10 years. All right, real quick, we'll end here. On the back of your page here, you guys have where it says putting it all together? These are the 15 rules. And what I like about this is how they're ordered and structured. Because really, the next time you open up your Bibles, whether it be later on today, you can read your Bible on a Sunday, by the way. It's not like an exempt day. Whether it be later on today or tonight or tomorrow morning, try setting up your time like this. Try readying your mind and exercising your mind in this kind of a sense. The preparation mode. Preparing yourself with the attitude factor and the maturity factor. In other words, before you even open up the book, you are preparing yourself to be like, all right, Lord, whatever my belief system is right now, if my beliefs come contrary to what I see in your word, change me. And Lord, may you grow me, may you mature me, and if I'm not ready to completely understand what you have for me, then let me move on. That'd be a great way to start your prayer before you open it up. Next, you go to your passage, and now you start observing. It's the observation stage where you apply these rules of Bible study. Considering the context, paying attention to every word and event that you're reading on, considering that there's three people groups that the author might be talking to, and understanding the time period and how God operated a different way during whatever time period you may be reading then. Just observe it. Take notes Definitely have a journal with you when you do this and make notes of these things. And then after you've read the passage of wherever God has you at that time, which as a a side note, let's say you do your reading in the morning and you have only like a half hour before the bus comes or before you have to leave or drive to school or whatever. Cut that time in half. Get done with the observation stage in 15 minutes. But I'm not going to read everything I want to read. No, you're going to read exactly what you needed to read. Observation. That means you read the passage you're going to read, 15 minutes, make a timer on your phone, set it off, and spend the remaining 15 minutes doing the rest of this sheet. It might take longer when you look at some of the rules. But the point I'm trying to get you to see is that read for half of that time, spend the rest of the half of that meditating on what you just read, making personal application. The interpretation stage. Based upon the notes you might have journaled, are there other scriptures 
that you want to see that line up with this that help you get a deeper understanding of this. Make sure you're taking it literally unless the passage is talking symbolically like in a parable. Make sure that it's consistent, that you pay attention to the consistency of God, that you don't violate a clear passage of Scripture, that you don't base a doctrine on one single verse or on a question. Consider the things of creation. Maybe there's some factor of creation that shows up in there that might help you understand. Remember our analogy when Jesus healed the blind man? He said, I see men walking as trees. Huh, so trees are kind of like men. Maybe there's a passage where you read and there's a tree that shows up. Why would God put a tree here? Oh, trees are like men. So I wonder if what he's saying here is a deeper picture about what mankind is like. And last, making sure that there's no apparent contradictions. So this is the biblical interpretation phase. There's no private interpretation. It's biblical. And lastly, apply. Apply what you read. Apply what you observed. Apply what you interpreted to your life and go out and do it. You do that and then boom, get going right to school. And while you're driving to school, have some quiet time praying with God. Watch how your day changes. Watch what open doors come your way. Watch these walls explode. We didn't go through this just so you guys can have bigger heads or so that we could have bigger heads. A lot of people take this class so they can get a bigger head knowledge of this book. That's not the point. The point is what we just saw here, the application. Taking these truths and applying it to our lives so that we can then be useful out into the world. These are basics and fundamentals. It's the milk. And speaking of which, it's going to be perfect for next Sunday. Because when our speaker, Scott Warner, is going through winter camp, the, the theme is going to be firm foundations. And he's going to be looking at the basics and the fundamentals. Don't be bummed about that, because I'm, I'm telling you, there's going to be some deep meat with a lot of things that he says. But the thing with the fundamentals is that every now and then you need to be reminded of the basic truths that you all grew up with in Sunday school that you could all stand up here and give a lesson on because you heard it so many times. But it may just be that you've heard it so many times that you've become dull of hearing and it no longer has a cutting effect on your heart. Bible says in 2 Peter 1, this is incorruptible seed. It doesn't return void. It should be having an effect in some way or another. But I guess that's where the parable of Luke 8 comes into play. What's the soil of your heart like? Is it stony? Is it thorny? Is it just fallen by the wayside? Or is it good soil to receive the word of God? So make sure you spend time this week readying your heart for that. Make sure you spend time this week applying these factors as you take Bible reading to the next level. Amen? Rick, yeah. I just wanted to go back to your point about seeking wisdom and you know being approachable. I get an impression uh, that sometimes you all don't want to reach out to people because you're afraid of being judged. Hmm. Because maybe you stepped in it. And you're afraid to reach out to one of us because you're afraid we're going to judge you. Um, I speak for every leader in here collectively. We are not here to judge you. Nope. 
we are not here to slam you for whatever it is that happened. That you know, maybe it was something sinful, maybe it was a decision you made, or decisions, or it's just a path you're going to. That's not our position. Our position here is your success. This yeah. entire lesson, this entire series, is for your success. So, if there's something that's been there, a number of things that you're just struggling with, you don't know where to go. We are your biggest advocates in yes. this room. And honestly, and this isn't any knock on anybody's parents, or, you know, I don't know how all of your households are, but sometimes I think we want more success for you than maybe some people under your own roof. And, and I don't say that lightly, and I don't say that in any disrespectful manner, but understand that we're, we're going to pull for you in every, every instance. We want to see you get past stumbling blocks. So don't be afraid to reach out to us when you need wisdom on something and you don't know where to go. And mm -hmm. you turn into your worldly friends and other worldly resources because you're wanting to hear something, then you are a fool. I'll just straight up say it. I've done it, and I'm saying that from experience as a believer. And I've learned from it. I had to learn from it. Yeah. So don't be like me <laughs> in that regard. We're here for you. So Amen. don't be afraid, don't because I know that I come off as, you know, personally, I know I've been told, you look bad all the time, you look mean, and da da da, you know, and, I, and if anybody who knows me, you know I'm not like that, because I'm not going to walk around being this miserable individual, I'm not that guy, I just look that guy, because I just like my Uncle Mike, <laughs> he looks the same way, but, I want to meet Uncle Mike, amen, we're, we're here for you, and, and utilize, especially going into camp, now's the time to really examine your heart, yes, you know, let's make even though it's a, it's a it's a day and a night, a part of a day. Let's make the most of it. Let's get after it. Yeah. And quit playing games. Let's don't be fools. Amen. Throw that out there. Amen. On that note, let's pray.